But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now, when I first received Jesus as Lord and Savior, one of the first verses of Scripture that the Holy Spirit brought to my attention was one in Acts, and it talked about the Bereans who were more noble than the other believers because they checked the Scriptures to see if what they were being told was so. And that, I believe, the Spirit of God quickened to me very early because I have had that truth serve me well. That I took notes about what I heard, heard a lot of teaching, on a lot of diff- different places over the years, but I always would take those notes and say, i got to check this or that. didn't matter who was ministering. And oftentimes, when I checked to see if what I was being told is so, I found out, yes, what I was told was so. The scriptures are there. And and that only watered that seed. That only caused it to be strong. But then sometimes I would find that it wasn't right. And boy, did that save me some trouble. Then there was that time where I call it the back burner. Wasn't sure. Well, maybe it's there, maybe it's not there, maybe I see it, maybe I don't. And I usually would uh, just put a prayer to that. Lord, show me the truth here. Show me what this means. Because over that 30, over 30 years ago, I uh, realized from the Word of God that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's the whole body of Christ's teacher, individually and corporately. And that the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, and others who may be teaching or sharing, the Holy Spirit could very well use to teach us. But it is the Holy Spirit working in and through each one, and that the Spirit within us, the anointing, as one John says, and he says, we have no need of someone else to teach us. And we don't. We have no need of anyone else to teach us but the Holy Spirit, which is in us, that as tonight, even as you're hearing me, the Holy Spirit is quickening for you certain truth for your life. And and the beauty of that is with the 600 people that could be in here, each one of them would get something individual an individual truth for their life while there's one person up here ministering under the anointing and the power of the Spirit. Amen? That each person could walk out with truth taught to them, quickened to them by the Spirit in them specifically for their life. Well, I had gotten into, I got to a point where I'd been hearing teaching on holiness. Holy, holy, be holy, for God is holy. Well, the teaching I was hearing didn't settle with me very well because the kind of teaching I was hearing was because God was holy, 
then I had to try real hard to be holy. Because he was holy. Well, you know, it didn't take long to figure out. I had no idea what I was doing because I didn't even know what holy was. So how am I going to be something or conduct myself in holiness if I have no idea what it is? And I dare say right now, much of the body of Christ, sad to say, has only a fuzzy understanding of what holiness really is or what it is to be holy. Now you hear a definition from time to time say, holiness and sanctification is the same thing. Well, if it is exactly the same thing, why is there two different words? That's like mercy and grace. People say mercy is grace and grace is mercy. Beat wrong time out. No. Mercy is different than grace. You see, God took the children of Israel out of Egypt by his mercy. Psalm 136 all the way through. He did not take the children of Israel out of Egypt by his grace. He took them out because he was merciful. So there is a difference. And there's also a difference in sanctification, the setting apart, or what we would call the removal of sin from our life, to be sanctified, amen, to be set apart from. Now, holy, though, a little different. So I went ahead and I said, okay, I'm going to study this. And there are portions of scriptures and chapters of the Bible at times that I've studied for every day for three or four months. Now, not eight hours a day, but every day. And I would say, Lord, Holy Spirit, show me out of this what you want me to know. Show me what I need to know here. And you know, he's always faithful. So, as anyone who's studying the Bible uh, who wants to know as much as possible, you go back and look at the Hebrew and the Greek. You see, the Bible is inerrant, has no mistakes in it, in the original language, Hebrew, Greek. It has a few flaws in translation. But praise God, the Holy Spirit, the author is within us, and he's well able to square those away for us, isn't he? He's well able to say, go look that up. Go look up that in the Hebrew. So I began to study holy. And that verse that Peter quotes, he quotes it out of Leviticus. It is written, be holy for God is holy. And so I go back to the Greek, and I I love studying from the Hebrew before the Greek because the Hebrew language is so full of pictures. Each letter in the Hebrew language represents a picture. And you see, we don't think in letters, do we? If I said to you, dog, you're not thinking D-O-G. You're thinking of a dog. If I said a white dog, a big white dog, a big angry white dog, A big, white, angry dog chasing you with big teeth. Now, did that not change your emotion? Huh? See, folks, it is up here. It is within here. 
you will be you will be scared as you can possibly be if a big grizzly bear is chasing you down the road. Huh? If you had any sense, you'd be running. Right? All right. You know what? If you think a big black bear is chasing you down the road, you'd be just as scared. Huh? You with me? It can be even more real if I'm thinking something even though it's not really happening. So our mind, our imagination, our soul does become a battleground, doesn't it? It sure does. Now, in the area of holiness, I'm studying, and I'm studying, and I came up with a definition. Now, I have something that I use for myself. I have the Webster's 1828 definition. I have the Hebrew definition. I have the Greek definition. I have the English definition. And then I have the Spirit of God's definition. And that's the one I go with. Now, he doesn't normally give me that definition straight up. Usually I go through all the others, and then finally he'll put it into a nice, simple, easy-to-understand definition. For example, has anyone ever wondered what a good heart is? See, you sow the word. We all know the parable of the sower. Sow the word on hard ground. Sow the word on stony ground. Sow the word. Thorns come in and choke the word. Sow the ground on good. Sow the seed on good ground. What is good ground? What is a good heart? And after studying, 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 the Holy Spirit definition that worked for me, see, it has to work for me first before I can teach it. Doesn't it? Doesn't it have to work for you first before you can actually help someone else? So my definition that I got of a good heart slash good ground where the word of God grows and takes root and it can't be stopped and it cannot be hindered and it cannot be stolen is a heart that produces benefits for others. How many of you have that heart? Wave your hand. Yes, I've got a heart that produces benefits for others. Amen? Now, notice the definition of a good heart is not one that produces benefits for me. It's a heart that doesn't intend on producing a benefit. It's a heart that produces benefits for others. Amen? And that's how one John is able to write in his epistle, if you see your brother in need and you have the world's goods, help him. Do not say, be warm and be fed. Go on your way and walk off. How many of you know that is not a heart that produces benefits for others? Well, there's a direct correlation between that heart 
that produces a benefit for another and that heart's ability to take the word of God, be seated in them, rooted in them, and bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. So that definition has served me well over years. And other people, whenever I've taught it, have gotten something out of it. Now you can add to your definition that will work for you. Because after all, isn't it important that you understand the word? That you understand what that means? That you see in the word of God? See, I grew up in the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church at that time, you were forbidden to read the Bible. You had to get it from them. And there wasn't anything to get from them because the word wasn't coming forth. Just church doctrine. And I don't think God had it planned that way, do you? He had it planned that each and every one of us could get as much of the word of God as we wanted. You can come and feast all you want. Amen? Well, let's look at holiness. Well, the first thing I had to do is say, okay, God is holy. What does that mean? Let me give you the definition that worked for me. God is never less than who he is. Think about it. Jesus never got up in the morning and had to spend 15, 20 minutes early in the morning to figure out he was Jesus, the Son of God. God, if he did go to sleep, I say this by illustration, when he wakes up in the morning, he doesn't go to the mirror to check to see if he's God. He knows who he is. Jesus knew who he was all the time. And Jesus was never less than who he is. Jesus was holy. See, I was tr they were trying to teach me early on that holy was something you did. You had to act holy. See, the idea that you came into the church building and you made a sound louder than this meant you weren't holy. So you see, God was, through the Spirit of God, he'd doing an overhaul on me because that was my concept. And that had to change. Holiness. Never being, acting, talking any less than who you are. Well, <laughs> it wasn't long before that brings you to the next issue. Who are you? Well, who do you think you are? Remember I said earlier, if you think a bear's chasing you, you'd be just as scared. If you think you're just a rotten old sinner saved by grace, that's not going to get you very far. You know why? Because you're going to sin. Because that's what you think you are. So let's look at... A, a, I want to look at three things tonight. And these three things, I'm convinced, needs to be, needs to be brought to the body of Christ, needs to be brought to every Christian, to the point where they understand exactly what it means to know who you are, and to know when you know who you are. Amen? And I dare say to you, most of the body, unfortunately, 
It's a heartbreaker. Doesn't know. Well, let's look at a couple of verses here. Romans. Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, turn over because you really want to look at this. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You are sons and daughters of that holy God. What that verse is saying in Peter is, because your father is holy, you can be holy. Because your father is holy, you have the power within you to be holy. It's not a big effort. It's a knowing. Amen? Now you look at that. Do you know how many uh, precious brothers and sisters in the Lord who are held captive by the enemy? Because they have, if they once knew they were children of God, sons and daughters of God, they don't know it now. What do you mean by knowing? Let me ask you all a question. You know your name? If you were walking down the street, let's do this. Lunchtime in Philadelphia. Anybody ever been on the street at lunchtime in Philadelphia downtown? Okay. It's this wide, and it's people to people. Okay. Same in New York City. But I am willing to go out on a limb and say that if Phil and Lindsay were walking in that crowd down that street, and I stood up and yelled, Phil, Lindsay, I, I would, I, I'm almost certain they'd go. They wouldn't go, hold on a second. Is my name Phil? Oh, Lindsay, my name Phil. How many of you know there's no thought up here? Why? Because they know in here. Now the day that it comes to, you understand that you are a son and daughter of the Most High God who created the universe, and there's nothing impossible for Him to do in your life, and you are His offspring, you'll act like it. You'll talk like it. See, right now I'm not sure if I took this crowd and put you in the middle of that crowd on a, on a lunch crowd in Philly and went, Son of God! If anybody would turn around. Huh? Daughter of God! I'm not sure there'd be a response. But yet when Jesus, who was born of woman, took on flesh, and they cried out, Son of God, Jesus, Son of God. He didn't go, give me a minute. Pray about it. He responded as who? The Son of God. Number one, you're a son and daughter of God. I don't care how many times you make a mistake. I don't care of how many times you think you blew it. 
I don't care if you come and tell me how you're under condemnation and guilt and all that stuff that comes out. Have you received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? You are a son of God now. And there's nothing that changes that because Jesus is the one who secured it. And to change it would say that Jesus didn't get the job done. And I'm not going to insult him that way. He paid too big of a price. Amen. Everybody smile. Everybody out there in the world smile. And it's smiling time. You're a son and daughter of God. Now, now what do I do with that? You see, I have to now begin to think on that. Go over that. Meditate on that. Get that in there. Get it in so I'm conscious of it all the time. And the enemy can't come in. We're not to be ignorant of schemes of the enemy and try to convince you you're not. Folks, he tried to convince, convince Jesus he wasn't. How many of you realize Jesus went to the River Jordan? He was water baptized. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Father spoke out of heaven and he said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Forty days later, the devil's over there going, If you're the Son of, if you're the son of God. How many of you know Jesus didn't go, Hold it a second. Let me think this over. And when the devil comes at you to challenge you, if you're a son and daughter of God, you don't have time to think it over. You are. And you let him know. Amen. See, who gets, who gets inheritance in a family? The sons and daughters. And Jesus went to the cross and paid a big, big price that we would inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? And if the enemy could come in and convince you, you're just some person, a human being on earth. Folks, we're citizens of heaven. Amen? He come in and convince you that you, you're something other than the Son of God. He robbed the whole inheritance from you. That's his job. He's a thief. Oh, by the way, thieves don't announce themselves. They're thieves. Amen? Let's go over to 1 John, 4th chapter, 15th verse. We're going to start there in the fifth. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Question, do you know and believe the love that God has for you? Do you know and believe the love that God has for you? There is an assault on the body of Christ by the enemy to try to convince each one in it, of one thing. God doesn't really love you. Paul said, I don't care what I go through. I don't care what tribulation it is. I don't care the problems. I don't care the persecution. I don't care 
what it is that I deal with that's trying to make it look like God doesn't love me. He does. And nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing. Sometimes we get off, unfortunately, in an area of where the enemy is involved in things, and we miss what it is he's actually trying to do. He's trying to get into where you thinketh and cause you to thinketh that God does not love you. Remember the bear? Doesn't matter there's no bear. All I got to do is think a bear is chasing me and I'm scared. All you have to do is think God doesn't love you and the fear comes rushing in. Why? Perfect love casts out how much fear? All fear. So what do I want to do? Well, let me. I want to read the rest of this verse because it's good. Amen? All right. God is love. What is he? Love. See, I could say very easily where it says, Be ye holy, for God is holy. I could say, Be ye love, for God is love. But then John says it for us. Right here. Love has been perfected among us in this way that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, everybody say, as he is, so am I in this world. If we know and believe that, if that becomes a part of our consciousness, and we're aware of that fact, and we know that, and we know that, and nothing shakes, that the only response that we can have to any situation in this world is the love of God. See, we have to get past struggling, loving brothers and sisters in the Lord, don't we? And we've got to move on to loving the enemy. To pray for those who despitefully lose, use us. To pray for those who are our enemies. To pray for those that speak against us. To pray for those that are nasty. I had occasion one time in a meeting, uh, and a person stood up in the back and said, I was teaching on the love of God, and a person stood up and said, I happen to know that man has done things in the love of God, because what I was sharing is, we're not capable of agape love without God in us. And we're not. It isn't there. Until God puts it in there. Well, the person stood up, right in the middle, like right now, he stood up, said, challenging me. I happen to know there's people that have done that. How about in the war in the foxhole? When the hand grenade goes in the foxhole, and the soldier jumps on that hand grenade and, and gives his life for his, his uh, fellow soldiers and all that. And I said, sir, that is not the agape love of God. I said, here's the agape love of God. It's when the hand grenade goes into the enemy's foxhole and you run over there and jump on it and save them. Now show me the last man that's ever done that. He sat down. 
we don't understand fully the power that we're giving up by not allowing the love of God, okay, to cause us to not be less than who we are. You and I are love going somewhere to happen. And holiness is not being any less than that love in any situation. But we must come back to this point. Are you conscious of that? Do you understand that the very love of God is in you? Because what happened to me was a similar thing. I heard teaching on 1 Corinthians 13. Has anyone else? And, you know, they missed that first verse where Paul says, if you don't have love. He never said anything about walking in love. He said, if you don't have it. Well, what did I just read here? God is love. What's Paul saying there? If you don't have God, all that other stuff you do won't profit. And he lists burning at the stake and all of that. But yet it's taught, oh, here's the love. You know what the 13th chapter of Corinthians is? It is a description of God. How is God? What's he like? He's like that. He is patient. He is kind. He is long-suffering. He does not take into account a wrong suffered. Oh, you did that so God got angry with you and he did this to you and he had this nasty thing. Does that sound like somebody who doesn't take into account a wrong suffered? Huh? How can he write that in his word and we think he's opposite of that? Huh? Hello? That would border on insanity. God is not schizophrenic. He's got it together. Believe me, he does. He's got his act together. He gets up in the morning, and he does not have to figure out who he is, and he never deviates from who he is. He never falls lower than who he is. The Word tells us that God is not a man he should lie. Numbers 23, 19. The Word also tells us in Hebrews that it is impossible for God to lie. Do you know what that means to be impossible for God to lie? If he said, sky is pink, it'll be pink. So when he says, by Jesus' stripes, you were healed, that's done. Because it's impossible for God to what? Lie. We've got an enemy out there that's trying to prove to you that he's lying. And if you give him any place and you give him any opportunity, he'll take as much opportunity as you give him to try to convince you otherwise. Peter got out of the boat. How many know that? On Jesus' word, he said, come. 
Peter comes out of the boat. He walks on the water. He's looking at who? Jesus. He's hearing that word come. He's doing fine. Until he looked at the storm. Tell me. Is it easier to walk on water with a storm or without? See, the storm devil throws up stuff and there's no substance to it. There's no substance to the fear. Faith has substance. Fear has no substance unless you put some words to it. Number one, you're a son or daughter of God. Number two, God is love. And so as he is, so are we in this world. If we could just get that and get a hold of that and not forget that and walk in that consciousness, how many of you know the world's got no chance? The world won't find any place in you. Amen? I I could give you like 50, but I'm going to focus on three tonight, maybe four. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Flipping over to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, God, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God in him. In who? In Christ Jesus. Do you know how many times in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year, we're accused of being unrighteous. It's just ongoing. That's the world's job. To, cro- to cause you to believe that you are not in right standing with God Almighty. Every day, I thank the Lord. Lord, God in heaven, I thank you that I have the righteousness of Jesus. I'm as right with you as Jesus is. I have the righteousness of Jesus, and there isn't anything that changes that. Why isn't there anything that changes that? Because it's in him. Jesus secured it. And that is secured by the blood of Jesus. That's secured by the cross, his death, burial, resurrection. To go any other way is to take away from what he did on the cross for us. The problem in the area of sin is, hey, God does not want us to be in the misery of sin. So he, in his mercy, took care of that problem. But sometimes in our own self-righteousness, in our own pride, we want to take care of it. 
It is not, word never said, sin not and be righteous. It says, awake to righteousness and sin not. As I begin to know that I'm the righteousness of God, as I'm receiving the gift of righteousness by faith, it's running the sin off. Huh? I've seen it for 30 years. I mean, it's in my own, it's happened in my own life. I mean, I, I, it's so good. You know, I don't meet a lot of Christians who are trying to figure out a way to sin, but I meet a whole lot of them that want to get out of it. Only they're not hearing the right thing to get out of it. Oh, I've tried to quit smoking. I've tried so hard. Quit trying so hard. How long have you been trying? Twelve years. I said, do you think maybe you want to take another approach? How about this? You're the righteousness of God whether you smoke or not. Now you declare that every day by faith I'm the righteousness of God and you watch what happens. I can't tell you the number. They come back to me three weeks later. I'm done. It's gone. Why? Why? Because that's God's way. That's how God set it up. That's how God said this is done. He said, I don't want you to go through torment for five years trying to figure out how to stop drinking. So too often in the body of Christ, what's happened is these people, look, folks, if he could have dealt with the sin without Jesus, why did we need Jesus? It's the same before as it is after. You see, when you confess Jesus as Lord, he becomes your Savior. Did you get that? When you make him Lord of your life, he becomes your Savior. He'll save you out of any sin. Amen. I mean, if I lined the people up here, we'd be here long past we're off, when we're off TV. <laughs> why? Why, 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 why? Because that way is by faith. The other way is by works. And we can't work it. Hello? Amen? So why not go by faith? If the Word of God tells me whatever's not of faith is sin, why would I go into sin trying to get rid of my own sin apart from faith? Now i got another sin to deal with. But the more and more and more that I know who I am. Now, let me... Watch this. One of the main reasons that Jesus went to the cross, died, buried, resurrected from the dead, was to bring us into a knowing relationship with God. That we would know who he 
is. We would see him accurately. Jesus said what? You see me, you see the Father. The forgiveness of the sin and the taking care of the sin problem in our life by the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice was so that he could bring us into a knowing intimately him. Removing. Use the example as before. If we use it in another example of righteousness, if we were to try to establish our own righteousness to God's degree of righteousness, I'll give you two examples of what you'd have to do. Either one, you'd have to swim across the Atlantic Ocean. So you say, I want to be righteous before God. I'm going to establish my own righteousness. God's righteousness is like swimming across the Atlantic Ocean. We would have to do the same to equal that. But did you know another fact? If you flapped your arms up and down 780 times a second, you'd fly. That's what hummingbirds do. But see, God is righteous, and his righteousness is flapping arms 780 times a second. That's God's righteousness. For us to equal that righteousness, to fellowship with him, you have to flap your arms 780 times a second, and you get flight. You say, well, that's impossible. Exactly. It's impossible. Therefore, grab on to Jesus, baby. Grab on to Jesus because he'll have your arms flap 780 times. He'll get you across the Atlantic Ocean. He'll bring you to the moon if he has to, but you will be the righteousness of God. So so why not abandon that other plan? Totally. (laughs) Amen? Number one, you're a son and daughter of God. Number two, As he is, so are you in this world. He is love, so are you. Amen? Number three, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you took just those three things and then buried that within yourself, and you you will never walk less than who you are. You won't. You'll never walk less than who you think you are. How do I do that? I'm before God praying. I pray, Lord, I thank you. Your love, I'm love. I thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you. You've made me your son. Let me ask you a question. If you were in that same crowd walking down the street, and I yelled out to you, Hey, disciple, the one who God loves, would you turn around? Is it in you to that degree? like it was in John the Apostle. You see, it wasn't limited just to him. I'm the one he loved. One morning about, I don't know how many years ago, because I get before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to say today? One morning he said to me, I want you to say, and whenever he tells me something, it's always. It's not like half a day. It's not an assignment. You understand? It's not a bubble job. He said, I want you to say, I'm the one that you love. Lord, 
thank you. I'm the one that you love. I'm the one that you love. I'm the one that you love. Can you say that now? Lord, I'm the one that you love. I'm the one that you love. I'm the one that you love. See, one of the problems when it gets over into the works realm is all you hear is how you have to love him. Don't you? And then the devil comes in and says, you ain't loving enough. There's your problem. You're not loving enough. You don't to do this. You need to try harder. You need to try harder. You need to try harder. And you hear that all the time. I went through the New Testament. Do you know how many times, just in Paul's epistles, he refers to the love of God over, uh, for us over us loving God? It's like five to one. Why? He prays the prayer that we would comprehend what? The love, breath, length, depth of the love of God for us. Why? Because we love Him because He loved us first. Do you know that the biggest problem and the reason why we don't see a lot of love of God Because the moment you begin to love God, you love others. It's almost simultaneous. It's because the body doesn't know God loves them. How many believe the word? I believe the word. And I believe when God puts something down on his word, he means it. And what he said in 1 John was, you love me because I love you first. So the love of God's got to come first before we love. So instead of teaching people or trying or yelling at them and saying, you gotta love God, you gotta love God, you gotta love God. How about this? God loves you. God loves you. And there's verses and verses and verses. This is the love of God and a demonstration of it. In Romans, what great love he's bestowed upon us that he sent his son. I have four sons. I don't know I'm there yet to say I'm going to send one of them to die. Let alone die the way he died. However, I know that God isn't going to ask me to do that because that's done. But when I think about that for 10, 15 seconds, I, I, you know, there's certain things the mind can only go for for a certain amount of time. It's just, that's why it's by faith. Amen. Can you see? When we start talking about holy and holiness, we're talking about not being any less than who you are. That's holiness. And not being any less than who you are, you must know who you are. It's not what you do. It's not the good works. The world says, I'm going to do good works so I can feel better about myself. Hey, there's billionaires that have given a billion dollars to scholarship funds. Trust me, they don't feel any better about themselves. I had money. It didn't change me on the inside. Jesus did. I didn't come to Jesus because I was down and out. I came to Jesus because I was disappointed. I said, okay, I've done just about everything that I want to do, and I'm, I feel the same. 
why am I even here? To just do this? Make money? Don't get caught in the trap of thinking if I only had enough money, everything would be all right. Uh-uh. Beat, no. Don't even go there. Just trust what I tell you. I'm not against having money, but money's a tool. It's a servant. It's what we use to propagate the kingdom of God and put the gospel forth. Because we need money to deal in this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And God wants that money to serve us. He never wants that money to rule over you. I just threw that in for free here. Amen. I'm going to pray right now. And there's people here and there's people in the sound of my voice. And I'm praying right now in the name of Jesus, every obstacle be removed in their heart, that they receive the love of God, that they receive it, every lie broken down. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you by the power of your Spirit, every lie that would cause a person to believe that God doesn't love them just the way they are, that God doesn't accept them just the way they are, any lie, I break it down now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for pouring your love. Now, Father, I thank you for each person. Open their heart and cause them to comprehend, to understand, to know and believe the length, breadth, depth, width of the love of God for them. Now, Father, I pray you cause each one to look into the face of Jesus, see who Jesus is, and know that's who they are. And as he is, so are we in this earth. And by your grace, we will never walk less than who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.